hopefully, you can't help but think, well, what does that mean for me? What do I do with that on Monday or Tuesday or my every day? Which is why Emily and I are kicking off a series of sermons this morning where we're going to spend three weeks talking about resurrection and what's being resurrected in our world and in our lives and maybe what needs to be resurrected. And so we're going to be resurrecting civility, humility, and hope. This morning we start with civility because God knows we need to resurrect some civility in our world. And there's actually a place in the New Testament where one of the New Testament writers, Paul, is writing to Titus about that very thing. Titus was one of Paul's assistants or helpers, and Paul left him in Crete to give leadership and direction to the church there that was newly forming to help them understand what it means to follow Jesus in our lives day by day by day. When you read the book of Titus in the New Testament, you see where Paul gives very specific instructions even about leadership and what it means to lead in the church. But there's definitely a place where Paul takes up specifically this topic of civility. So I want to read that for us this morning. And I'm reading from Titus chapter 3. I'll read verses 2 through 11 and you can follow along on the screen. He wrote, They shouldn't speak disrespectfully about anyone, but they should be peaceful, kind, and show complete courtesy toward everyone. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our own desires and various pleasures too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were disgusting and we hated other people. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love appeared, He saved us because of His mercy, not because of righteous things we had done. He did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So, since we have been made righteous by His grace, we can inherit the hope for eternal life. This saying is reliable, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God might give careful attention to doing good. These things are good and useful for everyone. Avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, and fights about the law because they are useless and worthless. After a first and second warning, have nothing more to do with a person who causes conflict because you know that someone like this is twisted and sinful and so they condemn themselves. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God.
grateful we are for all the musical leadership that is a gift for us as we worship together today. Let's just imagine for a moment about this early Christian community that is forming after the resurrection of Jesus. This would have been a little bit overwhelming to the church. They're asking, what does it mean for us to continue on without Jesus? People struggled to understand what he meant and what he was pointing to even when he was alive. But now that he's gone, what do we do now? After his death, they wondered what was life going to be like. And just like now, there were difficult issues and things that they were talking about. And they wanted to be faithful people, but they had a difference of opinions on some issues and topics. And we know that for the need for civility arises when we don't see eye to eye with others. Let me just ask you this. What do you think gets argued about most in the church of our day today? Maybe there's one thing that comes to mind or maybe there's a whole variety of different things that come to your mind. And what I mean by this is what takes our focus? What occupies concern for us? What takes time and space, consumes our energy? Think about it. Now we know that disagreeing has been a reality for the church since the beginning of time. The church, God's people, we seek to step into a place where We are wanting to discern the will and the call of God in relationship to what we see going on in the world around us. What God desires for humanity and for the world. And so, yeah, that can tend to feel like a lot of pressure at times. And so conflict naturally arises as we try to understand what that should mean and what that looks like for us. Now the topics that we, as we look back on our history across time, we realize that what has happened in the past has shaped where we are today. And it is also good for us to understand and think about that what we are talking about today is going to shape what occurs in the future. And one of the tasks that we have as being people who who seek to be faithful and, and listen to God is to listen to the stories, our biblical stories, to look at our, our history and tradition while also paying attention and listening to what God is up to here and now today for us. But how do we have civil conversation in the midst of disagreeing? And having disagreements with one another. For the first century Jewish community, they had many topics. Many things that were, were heated for them. That they were seeking to understand. There were, there were topics that they had controversy over. And one of the hot topics of the day that consumed time and energy for them would have been the issue of circumcision. 
This is one of the things that they would have been focused on. They, they argued about. It would have been a controversial subject for this community. So, with the scripture in mind that we have read today, Eric and I want to imagine with you a conversation of the, t- the first century Jewish community that might have gone something like this. Have you heard what Paul is saying? What do you mean? About circumcision. What about it? Well, I heard that he has been saying that it's not necessary. He believes that being a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be circumcised. Yeah, I kind of think I agree with him. What? Well, look at Titus. I mean, Titus is one of Paul's right-hand men, and he travels with Paul, he's teaching, he's preaching, and he's not circumcised. Wait, wait. So you mean to tell me that you're no longer sure that circumcision really even matters? Of course it does. Well, I, I don't know. Okay, help me. Help me understand your point of view, your perspective. Okay, well, for starters, first of all, it's in the Torah. I mean, God says it's the mark of being a child of God. God talks with Abraham about it. It's in our law. You're right. It is. And I'm thinking about when people ask Jesus about the law and the commandments and which is the greatest commandment. And his answer was, there's one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then when he shared Passover with his disciples the night before he was arrested and crucified, he told them, I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. I, I just hear from Jesus that our focus is on love. I hear that, but it's a part of our history and our tradition. I mean, our ancestors have literally been doing this for thousands of years. Why are we just going to change that now? You're right, it is part of our history and our tradition. And I hear Christ calling us to new things, to a new way of being, a new way of living our faith, calling us to new people, even to the Gentiles. So what are we supposed to do? Go tell all those grown men that they've got to be circumcised now? Okay, I admit that you make some good points. I don't know, I just, I feel like this is central to our faith. I mean, it's, it's been an act of our faithfulness to God for so long. I hear you, and it has been central to our faith. You're right. My concern is that if we get so focused in on this practice, that we might miss the bigger picture of God's love for us all in Christ. We really don't see this in the same way. But I respect you, and man, our families have known each other for for so long. We've celebrated Passover together, and I know that you care. And yet, I'm just not sure how comfortable I am with this. And I respect you, and I trust you, and I value our friendship. Maybe could we 
continue this conversation another time? I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd be game for that. But I'm wondering, I mean, before we have a next conversation, is there something that you would suggest that maybe I do in order for me to help you under, help me understand your perspective a little bit better? Wow, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've never talked with Titus, maybe talk with him and let him share his experience and his perspective with you. That's fair enough. Good suggestion. I'll, I'll reach out and connect with him. And actually, I'm headed to the temple and I was going to see the rabbi, so um, I'll strike up a similar conversation with the rabbi too. That sounds good. All right. And, and scene. scene. You know that, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love appeared, he saved us because of his mercy, not because of the righteous things we had done. Paul emphasizes what civility looks like in regards to needing to understand God's mercy and grace. This is what Paul is pointing to when he's talking about civility. And it happens all throughout many of Paul's writings because he's talking about what it means to live with others. And the focus is on doing good. Which today is a part of our Wesleyan three simple rules. Do good, do no harm, stay in love with God. Now, we know that there are a lot of different disagreements and arguments that occur in the Bible. And especially in these early communities of faith. As this early church is developing and forming and they're trying to understand who they are and what they are to do. What we have is that they are talking a lot less about you can't do this and you'll go to hell if you do that. And more about staying focused on how to treat and behave towards one another. Paul talks about over and over and over again this relational aspect of what it means to live with others. To be in community with others. That is what the focus is on. But that's also where the challenge arises too, right? Verses 4 through 8 of what we read this morning are all about God's love and grace and mercy in the midst of encountering others. When issues come up, we are to be the first to extend God's love and grace and mercy to people. Even when we don't share the same belief or opinion as them. So do you think you can build authentic community with others even when you don't see eye to eye on something? Paul suggests in Titus, yes. Well, and according to the first couple of verses that we just read, for a follower of Jesus, for somebody who's been a recipient of God's great, big, generous grace in our own lives, then resurrecting civility in us and around us begins 
with being respectful, kind, and courteous. And I appreciate so much that Miss Betsy started with our children saying that being civil, having civility is being polite, and indeed it is, and, and then it's that and more. Because honestly, I've seen people be very polite and very dismissive at the same time. But yet this sense of civility that Paul is writing about is to respect the other person, their experience, their perspective, and the Holy Spirit that is alive and at work in them. Naming that what they have to offer is just as important and valuable as what I have to offer. In the message translation of these verses, we find the phrase, uh, God's people should be big-hearted and courteous. What a beautiful image of being big-hearted with one another. Being respectful, kind, and courteous. Hopefully you saw that in our award-nominated dramatization that we just (laughs) presented to you a moment ago. Of us being respectful, kind, and courteous. In our body language that we weren't shutting one another off, closing off, rolling our eyes, huffing. In the tone of our voice that was sincere and engaged, us saying things like, I don't see it that way. Help me understand your perspective. Or, what do you recommend that I could do to gain a more fuller perspective? You see, what Paul wrote to Titus to tell the church is, look, we used to be ugly to each other. Not anymore. We used to think my way is the only way. The only right way. Not anymore. We used to be critical, mean, grumpy, dismissive. Not anymore. We know a better way as a people to be a beloved community. When Eric suggested that he might be agreeing with Paul instead of with me, I could have just lit into him, gone after him, I could have made it personal and made sure that he clearly doesn't know the Bible as well as I do. I could have said, you're definitely wrong and I am right. End of story. That's often the tempting approach when someone doesn't agree with you. We want to fight back, argue until we're blue in the face, or until someone ends up mad or hurt, and then we walk away at least feeling like we made our position known. But in verse 9, we hear that we are to avoid fights, and not just physical, but spiritual and, and mental and emotional fights. This whole, I'll clock you with my knowledge and examples of how I have it right, does not fly in civility. Now, being in community with others means that we are going to have to talk to each other, doesn't it? 
And true community means recognizing that the person standing across from you is just as much a child of God as you are. And it's not just about recognizing it. but It's about starting with the approach of that. It's good for us to process things, to work things out, to be in conversation with others, and, and to name how we see things and experience the world, but not letting it turn into an argument or a fight. You can share your experience and, and where you're coming from without letting it just completely shut down conversation and begin to build up walls between you. Paul says it quite simply. Don't spend your time in arguments with one another because they are useless. They are not helpful to the kingdom of God. And so, in those last couple of verses of Titus chapter 3 that we just read, we see finally that for a follower of Jesus... There's another way for us to choose to go forward other than conflict. In fact, those last couple of verses are a warning about people who choose to remain in conflict, to cause conflict. Again, to the message translation, what it says there is by persisting, In divisiveness, he cuts himself off. By choosing to anchor in, refusing to engage, persisting in that place, we cut ourselves off from one another, from the fullness of what God intends for us to experience in this life. Now, persisting is not necessarily a bad thing. It is a way at which we can get to the heart of what is right and true and beautiful and good. But persisting in divisiveness is harmful dangerous. Being in this place where you're unwilling to have the conversations and engage. And again, hopefully you saw from that award-nominated presentation that we made for you just a minute ago, where we said, you know what, let's keep this conversation going. We can have this conversation again, even though we don't see this the same way. And we made the conscious choice not to persist in our unwillingness and to be divisive, but rather to come together and to stay in relationship and in conversation with each other. Typically, In those moments, we either win or walk away. What if that's not our only options? 
What if Paul in Christ is calling us to something else altogether, something more that we don't generally tend to, that doesn't fit with our dynamic of how we think about life in the world? What if he's opening us up and expanding us into something else altogether besides win or walk away? This is the place where God and Jesus starts to turn our thinking and our world upside down. What if there's something more? Because that warning that Paul gives is for somebody who persists in that divisiveness, they're just going to cut themselves off. I've seen it. I know a guy who, when his daughter came to him and said, I'm getting married. And my husband-to-be is a different race than we are. That guy said, no, 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 that, that's not okay. And here's why. Let me tell you the biblical reasons and justify that for you. And she said, but we're in love and we're going to get married. And that was the last conversation he had with his daughter. Never met his son-in-law. Never met his grandchild. But that wasn't okay for the rest of the family. And so, over time, other family members stayed in touch. And they celebrated holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays together. At first, they invited the dad to come. He always had a reason not to for one reason or another, he turned and eventually they just quit inviting him. And, and before long, because of his persistence in this divisiveness, he cut himself off from his family. There's a great modern theologian, Richard Rohr, who uses this phrase, both and or yes and yes, as being a really good approach to life. But specifically, when we find ourselves at odds with something or someone that we see around us. It's about making space for others. I can have my experience and perspective, and you can have yours. Yes and yes suggest that we can live together in relationship even when we don't see things the same way. Civility is agreeing that we aren't going to argue about stupid and petty things. That what is more important is that we are community and that we are in communion with one another and that we work at it. Together, Paul says to avoid senseless controversies, which is not our typical way of functioning today, is it? Everything is a controversy. We, we take anything and, and have an argument either for or against it. It's rare when we are willing to say, this is not worth arguing about. 
So what does it mean if we aren't going to argue? What does that look like? Does it mean that I'm going to think what I think and let you think what you think, but I'm still going to make decisions against you? I think that that's where we go too far. Why do you have to make decisions against the community in which you are claiming to be a part of? So what is it that you think in the 21st century resurrected civility invites us into? What do you think this looks like for us? Some words we talked about today, respect, love, being big-hearted, not needing the, the person that we are talking with to either be completely with us or need to do a 180 before you can continue conversation or love them. When we really do disagree with one another, what does this require of us as people seeking to follow Christ? What does it ask us to do and, and be as a community? I think one of the things, one of the things that invites us into is to be people of prayer. To be people who call on and are willing to listen to the Spirit of God speaking and moving and breathing. After all, we serve an alive, resurrected Christ. This is kingdom language, though. Kingdom behavior. This invitation towards civility. Civility towards one another invites us, though, to speak the language of God with one another. It invites us into that language and that way of being. May it be so for us today so that we might represent and be for the others and for the world. God's people filled, big-hearted with love and grace and mercy. May it be so for me. May it be so for you. Amen. Amen. This morning as we close out our time of worship together in this space, we really do believe that, that this is an invitation that begins in here as we gather, but it goes out with you. So we invite you to think about what does civility look like for you and your life, in your community, with those that you share life with. This altar rail is always open as a place to come and, and kneel and take a moment. God is speaking. Let our ears be open for listening. Will you stand and let us sing together, Maker in Whom We Live, hymn number 88. Mm-hmm.